isn't like, I feel like I only do like my version of love stories and then like children murdering children. Um, yeah. Which is what I'm doing right now as a child murder. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Hello. Big spoiler alert right up front. (laughs) I would, because I'm not good at this, um, and you're really good at this, I I would like to just straight off the bat start off with a trigger warning on this one. Oh, okay. Just for... I want to say for my husband's benefit, even though he just downloads them and doesn't listen to them anymore because he's horrified by the stories I tell. Um, So it does involve a murder of a child. Oh, man. Okay. So, so. You need to choose something lighter for your next episode. I mean, how, how light? We can't really do light over here. Yeah, we can. How? I feel like. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. What light one have you done except for the the whatever those are called again? Um, um I did before you were with us in in the before times. Um <laughs> I did one on the 1904 Olympics. That was pretty light. Oh, I guess that's pretty light. I did anyone die? The marathon was a shit show. Well, if no one died, I'm not interested. People got chased <laughs> by dogs. Well, there you go. <laughs> Somebody, there you go. Somebody was taking uh, turpentine and rat poison as their stimulant during. Can you imagine? Because no. you're a runner, while you're trying to do a distance race, they're no. they're making you guzzle down like turpentine and rat poison. No, 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 stop. Uh, uh-uh. that would be awful. Although I have seen, um, I don't like doing marathons or like signing up for long distance runs or anything like that. Just because after like a couple, I'm like, why am I paying to run? And then for like a trophy or like a number, I, I don't care. Okay, I'll time but myself. I'm doing a 10 K this weekend. And the only reason I signed up is because the finisher medal is really fucking cute. Well, there is a marathon that I just saw where they feed you cake, like at every stop. And I'm like, hmm. You got to replenish your glycogen stores. That's, that actually sounds pretty good. Anywho, um, this is not a light case. It involves child murder, child on child murder, which okay. you know how it's there's a popular belief that I have no soul because I feel nothing sometimes when oh, yeah. I read or talk about these cases. Um, when it involves children murdering other children, I, I do like feel that little, uh, thing that normal people get in their, (laughs) in their eyes, that water, like a little bit. I think Uh, it's because like, it's, it's the double loss of innocence there that like what happened to this poor child to make them make this horrible choice. Yeah. You know, what gets me about it? Number one is I just think about these poor children and like the horrific seconds that whatever happened to them was happening and what they're thinking in their head. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that is what gets me. Because you think about these kids and like they're, they don't have the capacity to think complex thoughts about stuff like this. Yeah. So how are they seeing it in their head? Like that. Exactly. And they must be scared and they must be wondering like, who's going to save me right now? Like that's that is what gets me. So, anyways. all right, let's, let's all right hear the horror. 
Okay, so this takes place in um, October of 2009, October 21st to be exact. Nine-year-old Elizabeth Olton goes missing from her neighborhood in St. Martin's, Missouri. St. Martin's is in Cole County, and it has a population of a little over a 1,000 people. It's a small town, you know, small-town America where everybody knows everyone, kind of rural. Elizabeth uh, lived with her mom and her two siblings, Anthony and Stephanie. She was in the fourth grade, and she attended Pioneer Trails Elementary School. Uh, she was described by family and neighbors as just sweetness and light. She loved Whoa. cats. Yeah, she loved cats. She loved the color pink. She was a very, very girly girl. Everyone just, you know, said she was beautiful. She had this long, light brown hair, curious eyes. Um, she could be kind of shy, but she was just like this overall happy nine-year-old little girl. Now, when we do these cases, I always find it a travesty that we don't get a lot of information about the victims, but you get like a ton of information about the perpetrator. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I mentioned I always, that when I did uh, Tim McLean a yeah, few weeks ago. Yeah. So I like, I always try to find as much information as I can about the victims because it is essentially. I think when we tell these stories, it is their story we're telling. Absolutely. Um, and and it's so it's it's hard when they only focus on you know, right? Because the these person stupid murderers and dumb fucks don't deserve this attention. Yeah. The whole yeah. reason that we're sharing these stories is to honor the memory of the victims here and and awareness like we said previously yeah Yeah, about your episode um odessa carey yeah yeah a lot of true crime stories are more about mental health awareness than anything else exactly so you can you can maybe see the signs in someone else or because the common theme in a lot of these stories and you're going to see it in this one is that these people who are often exhibiting signs of something more serious going on get passed around and passed around and they are not properly served until something bad happens. And I feel like then everyone goes, oh, we never saw it coming. No, you did. You did see it coming. You just, yeah, you just either ignored it. ignored the signs or there wasn't enough help or there was only so much the system could do. So... Anyways, um, back to Elizabeth Olton. Peggy Florence, a spokesperson for Elizabeth's family, was quoted as saying, and I quote, she was somebody special. They call her a girly girl. She would be outside in the snow or in the mud in her frilly little dresses. Yeah. She sounds like the cutest little thing. Yeah. So that evening of October 21st, 2009, Elizabeth was at home practicing her lines for an upcoming part in a school play. At five o'clock, her neighbor and friend, Emma, who was six years old, um, came to the door to ask if Elizabeth could play, which this was common. She had played with Emma frequently. Um, so this wasn't like anything random or new. At first, her mom, Pat- Patricia Priest, which we will call her Patty, um, at first she was like, no, I don't think so, because it was, again, 5 o'clock. 
mom was making dinner and it was, and dinner was almost going to be ready. So she was kind of like, "Mm, you know what? Probably not. But Patty recalled that Elizabeth begged and begged to go play. So finally, Patty just gave in and she told Elizabeth, okay, as long as you were home by six o'clock, you could go play. Emma's house was just a quarter mile down the road, so about four houses away, so it wasn't a big deal, right? She could go out, play for a little bit, come back before it got dark. Yeah, sounds pretty normal. Yeah. So Patty said she left happily with Emma at 5 p.m., and she watched her walk out the front door, and that would be the last time she saw Elizabeth alive. Oh, my God. When it was 6 p.m. and Elizabeth did not return home like she was supposed to, immediately Patty knew in her mom gut, right, Mm -hmm. that something was wrong. Yeah, the mom knows. Oh, totally. Now, Elizabeth had a cell phone, so her mom called it a couple of times, but every single time she called, it went straight to voicemail. So. Patty calls Emma's house and Emma's grandmother, Karen, who she lived with, answered the phone. And so Patty talked to Karen and asked her if Elizabeth was there. And Karen told her that Elizabeth had never even been there, that Emma was home, but Elizabeth definitely wasn't with her. And she never saw Elizabeth that night. So immediately Patty hangs up the phone and she calls police right away. As soon as she calls police and the police get to her house, a search begins immediately. They obviously went and questioned Emma's grandmother first, and she confirmed again that Elizabeth hadn't been there. Word spread quickly because it is a very small town. So by 10 p.m. that evening, hundreds of volunteers came out to join the local police to search for Elizabeth because, honestly, she couldn't be very far. I like that. This was just like an hour that, you know, mom didn't have eyes on her from five to six, right? Right. And it's not even that she like wandered off or like lost track of her child. It's that she was going and doing something that mom knew what she was doing and she had permission to do it. Four, Four houses down. She was nine years old. This happened frequently. She always let her and she would always come back when she was supposed to. So... As the search continued, obviously it was already dark. More people joined. Uh, They brought in search dogs that night, firefighters, helicopters, the highway patrol. I mean, everybody was looking. By the next morning, early the next morning, the FBI was finally involved. Not finally, like that was quick. The FBI was. I know. Involved. Finally, it's like yeah. The finally, next it's day. like that's. It's like hours later, the FBI is involved. That's really. Fa- I don't. It's really fast for like, you know, we hear these cases all the time, right? It either has to be 24 hours, which for a nine-year-old, I don't think, I think that's when it's teenagers that, and older. I mean, that's actually what I was thinking of is like, yeah. is this standard procedure when a, a young child goes missing to have the FBI involved so quickly? Well, this this tells me that I think there was evidence that came up really quickly that the police were like, something's wrong here, right? Okay. So, um, like I told you before, Elizabeth did have a cell phone with her when she disappeared, which her mother, again, kept calling, but it would go straight to voicemail. About 24 hours later, the police were able to get an emergency ping tracing of Elizabeth's phone, and they were able to trace three pings that indicated that Elizabeth's phone was in the wooded area behind Emma's house. Now, 
by this point in the search, there are police cadaver dogs came in, um, dive teams to search the ponds in the nearby and the rivers nearby, but they still found nothing. Now, with the three pings, once they got the third ping, her phone went dead. So they only had those three pings to go on, and they had already, the search area had already obviously been around Emma's house and like the surrounding area. Yeah, and they can't get any closer than they already are. Yeah, exactly. So as the search continued, Obviously, the officers are interviewing the people, the last people to see Elizabeth. Um, Obviously, who's that last person? Emma, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Emma is six years old and Emma has multiple stories. Uh, Her first story was that she had only been with Elizabeth for an hour and then Elizabeth walked home. So she said, yeah, I was with her. We played and then she walked home. Then another story was that they were in the woods together and she got stuck in a thorn bush and she went to go get her older sister for help. Like, she's like, yeah, we were in the woods and then, you know, Elizabeth got stuck in a thorn bush. She was screaming and crying. So I ran to go get my sister. As it turns out, Emma's older sister was actually her half sister and she was 15 years old. She also happens to be the only person in the neighborhood that was not accounted for at the time that Elizabeth went missing. Really? hmm Her name is Alyssa Bustamante. So on October 23rd, they bring in Alyssa to be interviewed. They asked her, point blank, where were you on October 21st? Mm -hmm. She said, oh, uh, I skipped school that day, um, and I was just, like, hanging out, and then um, I just went home after school. And they're like, "Uh, you skipped school. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I was just at home. Um, But I have no idea where Elizabeth is. So then the officers were like, Okay. And the officers had noticed earlier that there were several shallow holes that they found in the backyard, like behind Emma's house. And so they asked Alyssa about it casually. And they're like, do you know anything about those? Like, we're seeing a lot of holes in your grandma's backyard. And she's like, oh yeah, I just like digging holes. I like to bury dead animals. Uh... Maybe you want to say a little less, Alyssa. Yeah. And so obviously the police are like, okay. And they also noted that the holes that she was digging had zero dead animals in them. Like they went out to look in the holes and there was no dead animals. So during that interview, as they were talking with Alyssa, a search warrant was obtained to search the home. So grandma's house Mm -hmm. um, and Alyssa's bedroom. What they found in there, officers described later as bone chilling. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a little more about Alyssa. Alyssa Bustamante was born in January of 1994. Now, unfortunately, she was born into a very, very broken home already. Her mother, Michelle, was a teen mom, and she had 
a boyfriend at the time named Caesar, who was Alyssa's father. Mm-hmm. They both already like Michelle was in her inner teens and Caesar was, I think, a little bit older, but they by the time Alyssa was born, they both already had a criminal history of petty crimes and drug possession. Um, they lived together in an apartment but struggled to pay rent. They both had three misdemeanor con- misdemeanor convictions. How do I say? Is it misdemeanors? Misdemeanor. Okay. They had three misdemeanor convictions. Misdemeanor. They had three misdemeanor. It sounded fine the first time you said it. Three misdemeanor convictions uh, for drunk driving and marijuana possession. Um, Both parents of her parents struggled with drugs and alcohol and uh, basically were addicted to drugs and alcohol when they weren't serving time. Um, Both had criminal charges. Both served time in jail. When Alyssa was around six years old, mom completely abandoned her and her siblings. And dad at that point had already entered prison. And around this time when this was happening, he was serving three consecutive terms for a felony assault in Missouri. Um, in 2002, however, when she was 70 years, 70, when she was seven years old, her grandma, Karen became the legal guardian of her and her siblings. They moved from California. So they were in California at the time and grandma just took them and moved them to Missouri. Um, she just wanted to give them a stable, loving home, which she, she truly did. Uh, they regularly attended church. They were members of the LDS church. And uh, oh, that is so interesting. Uh, uh-huh. some of these, like really horrible cases. Yeah. End up with this. yeah, I know. I know, Crystal. Um, she was uh, at when she was young, as seven, eight years old, she was very active with the youth activities there, even going up into her, you know, early teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of early teens, she was described as a normal teenager. Uh, everyone said she was very sweet and funny. She loved to joke around. Everybody apparently loved her. Um, in high school, she was your average AB student. She loved to write. She kept a lot of journals and poems. And she was just like this sweet, normal teen. Then, unfortunately, around 2007 people started noticing a big change in Alyssa, not only in her attitude, but in her looks as well. She started to get a reputation as a bit of a mean girl, as a bit of a bully. She was actually hospitalized after a suicide attempt on which she overdosed on painkillers. Her friend said in an interview later that In that suicide attempt, Alyssa apparently took a bunch of Tylenol and something else, like some sort of Mm painkiller, and she passed out. She was found by grandma. Grandma called an ambulance. Um, Her stomach was pumped, and she ended up spending 10 days at a psych hospital in St. Martin's. It was called Pathways Behavioral Healthcare. After that, she was placed on antidepressants, um, diagnosed obviously with depression and anxiety. She had several other suicide attempts after that, and for and she received both inpatient and outpatient care after those attempts. But she also started to self mutilate. She would carve the word hate into her arms, oh. which is 
super sad. That's really sad. And she would often show her friends the scars on her wrists, which obviously is a cry for help and attention too. So um, I just want to note that yeah. um, it's it's even more significant that you said that she was part of the Mormon church mm-hmm. because Mormons don't really believe in mental illness. So her, really? church, her church community did not help her. Probably, yeah. Um, and they actually probably made it worse because in a lot of congregations, if you're branded as this bad kid, uh-huh. parents don't want you tainting their good Mormon child. So uh, they end up um, kind of being segregated. So that may have actually, and I am generalizing so much. No one come after me. I grew up Mormon. Um, based off the many, many, many stories I've heard and my experience watching this growing up, um, I, I know that, uh, the church community probably made this worse. Well, and not, I don't think that's even just LDS. I mean, look at, uh, the water of life church. Oh, Jesus. Remember well, that case? they didn't case? believe in any kind of medical. Holy moly. Look at Andrea Yates and her husband, Right. Like, I mean, yeah. Anyways. Okay. So um, she also was very much into social media. She had several online and social media accounts. One, if you remember, MySpace. I was going to say she probably had MySpace. <laughs> she she did probably have had a my- Facebook because uh-huh. that was around the overlap time. Yeah. So uh, she had MySpace and her kind of alter ego online was v- much darker than what she projected like in her early teens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pictures that she posted of herself were drastically different than the sweet child she was before. She liked going for like that bad girl emo image. Uh, There are several pictures and we'll have them up on our Instagram of her like doing that like smeared red lipstick to make like the mouth. Yeah. Like the mouth look bloody. That black like kabuki style makeup over her eyes. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very, very emo scene. Very, very much. Um, On MySpace and on her YouTube channel, which since all since removed, um, she listed her hobbies as cutting and killing people. Oh, that's normal. You know what this reminds me of? um, God, what is her name? Ah, fuck. That 12-year-old who killed her little brother. Oh, gosh. Um, And... Like it was the same thing with MySpace. Richardson? What is was it her? Richardson? Continue. Okay. I don't know. I haven't heard that one, but I am interested. Maybe I'll cover it soon. Yeah. <laughs> um she made a post at one point where the post said, bad decisions make great stories. Oh, um God. she also posted a video. Um, and I actually was able to find this video. It's been removed from YouTube, but you can still find it like floating around on TikTok and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she posted a video of she was filming her her siblings, her brothers specifically, um, trying to get them to touch an electrified fence. 
And the video was uploaded to her YouTube and it was titled Idiots Getting Electrocuted by Electric Fence. And so in the video, Alyssa touches the fence first and then she urges her brothers to do it. And she writes like in the video, like as she's urging her brothers to touch the fence and you can see her like, she's like, touch it, touch it. And the brothers are kind of half laughing, half like, I don't think this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. And she writes, this is where it gets good. This is where my brothers get hurt. And they end up touching it and it doesn't end up well. Like they're obviously hurt. Yeah. Uh, Later when her best friend was interviewed by police, she said that Alyssa once told her that she wondered what it would be like to kill someone. Um, And around this time she was being described as violent, depressed, and angry. Hey, best friend, did you, did you ever think about telling someone about this? (laughs) Exactly. Like if someone was like, if my best friend at that age was like, Hey, you know, I really want to feel like what it's like to kill somebody. I'd be like, Oh, great. Can you hold on for one sec? Let me go talk to somebody really quick. Like, yeah. I mean, I say that now in my, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old brain who, who, what would I've done? I don't know. Um, so back to the police, when they were searching her room on October 22nd, they saw a lot of drawings and writings on the wall of her room, which again, if this is taking place in her room and there is drawings and writing of this nature that you're going to hear about, did grandma never go in there? Did, you know what I'm saying? Because oh, how bad is it? Some of the writing and the drawings were in blood. She had Ooh. done it with blood. They collected a lot of her journals and her poems, which were very dark. One of her poems she wrote about cutting herself, and it said in the poem, I quote, I cut to see blood because I like it. Um It was clear by most of the writings and the items found in her room that Alyssa was fascinated with hurting herself, others, and even killing. So my take is I am sure other people had gone in her room prior to the police. And was this just like out in the open all over? Yeah. Yeah. This was all over. This was all over. Like the police said as soon as they entered the room. One of the detectives even said, as soon as I walked in the room, I knew who did it. Man, okay. Yeah. One of the drawings on the wall was of someone with slash marks on their neck and arms and the name Emma next to it, her half-sister. Yeah. Her journal gave a deeper glimpse into her disturbed mind. In some of the entries, she talked about burning her house down with her entire family in it just for fun. She also wrote, if I don't talk about it, I bottle it up. When I explode, someone is going to die. Her very last entry, coincidentally, was recorded on October 21st, 2009, Mm -hmm. the same night Elizabeth disappeared. When officers looked at that entry, Alyssa had already covered up most of the entry by scribbling over it with blue ink. And so the only visible part was at the bottom of the page that read, okay, got to go to church now, LOL. 
using a blue light, they tried to see what had been scribbled out. And the only two words that they could make out at the time were slit and throat. Wow. What day of the week was was the 21st? Do you know? uh, I believe it was a Friday, I want to say. So unless she was talking about a youth activity she had to go to or unless she was. That's actually exactly what I want to know. Yeah. Or it was like a, you know. It was a Wednesday. Oh, it was a Wednesday. So Wednesday is youth group night and there are activities on Wednesday night. Yeah, there you go. Once they read these words, they pulled Alyssa and her grandmother Uh, Karen to the police station for a formal interview. So Karen went with her. Detective Rice was the one to interview Alyssa. Her grandmother was in there with them. Alyssa's demeanor now had changed a little bit. She seemed very nervous and very scared and she was shaking. Detective Rice was like... So she's finally having a normal person reaction. Yeah. This is it. Like, we got her. He came right out and asked her, what happened to Elizabeth? And Alyssa said, okay, yes, I was with her. She was walking through the woods. I was walking with her and she tripped and she hit her head and she just died. I call bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Because that happens to nine-year-olds. They just trip in the they woods They just trip and, and crack their head open. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Detective Rice then asked again, but this time he said, I'm going to ask you the question again. And by the way. We found the journal in your room. We found the entry dated the night Elizabeth disappeared. He said he could tell at that point that Alyssa was like, this is it, right? So he asked Alyssa point blank, point blank right there, was was Elizabeth's throat cut? And she said, yes. And at this moment, Karen, Alyssa's grandma, bursts into tears. Like, I I probably would too if I was sitting there listening. Oh to yeah, essentially my daughter, my granddaughter, but my daughter. Like, admit so I'm gonna, to this. I, I there's the video of it, the entire video of the um, interview and of that moment where he asks her, you know, do you know where she is? Um, or what happened and she doesn't tell the truth. And then they say, did you, is her throat cut? And then Alyssa goes, yes. And then you can like see grandma in the corner. She immediately spins her chair around, not facing Alyssa anymore. And she's like inconsolable. She's just like falls apart, crying, bawling. They have to actually like take her out. Like even Alyssa whispers and you can see it in the video. She's like, you can leave. She oh. says to her grandma, like you can leave. Like knowing like you're not going to be able to handle the rest of this. Oh my you can God. go. So then one of the detectives like walks grandma out. So how much of that do you think is grandma going, I screwed up with my own daughter and now I've screwed up with my granddaughter. Like I am not, everybody stop yelling at me. I'm not blaming grandma, but like how much of it do you think that because I think a lot of it. And, and also up until that point, grandma was like, Alyssa had nothing to do with this. Yeah. I feel so bad for grandma. I know. I know. 
you know, at that moment, Karen, Alyssa's grandmother, burst into tears and she has to be let out by another detective. Um, and once she leaves, Alyssa started telling the detectives the true story. So on the evening of October 21st, this is what happened, according to Elise, Alyssa. Alyssa said that she instructed her younger half-sister, Emma, to go ask Elizabeth to play. Once Elizabeth was lured out of her home, instead of taking their usual route to Emma's house, which was basically a straight shot down the long stretch of road, mm -hmm. they took a shortcut through the wooded area that ran behind the houses. Um, and it was there that Alyssa was waiting. When Alyssa saw Emma and Elizabeth, she told Emma to go home. And then she told Elizabeth that she had something to show her, but that it would take, it would be like a 15 minute walk deeper into the woods. So she asked Elizabeth if she wanted to see it. Elizabeth said yes. So Alyssa took Elizabeth by the hand and led her deeper into the woods. Alyssa had a kitchen knife on her that she had taken from her house. And when she was leading Elizabeth through the woods, she was walking behind Elizabeth or she was walking in front of Elizabeth and she was taking her to one of the shallow graves, which she had dug a few days earlier on October 16th. So apparently she had this planned for some time. And she, it, from the sound of it, it sounds like she was targeting Elizabeth specifically. Yeah. Well, later they would say that they think she was actually going to kill her two brothers because there were two shallow graves. Mm -hmm. And then she ended up on Elizabeth for some reason. Um, Alyssa then said once they got to the area where she had the shallow grave pre-dug, she started strangling Elizabeth first. Then once Elizabeth was strangled and fell to the ground, she grabbed the kitchen knife that she was hiding on her person and she stabbed Elizabeth in the chest a total of seven or eight times, she said. Then she slit her throat, pushed her into the shallow grave, covered her with leaves, and just went back home. That's really sad. Yeah. And so this is the part where when I think about Elizabeth, this nine-year-old who, oh, this is Emma's older sister. I have played over at Emma's house met plenty of times. I know Alyssa. Like, yeah, she wants to show me something cool. Yeah, I'm going to go with her. Mm -hmm. Because she's not even thinking anything could go wrong. So around 3 a.m. on October 23rd, Detectives then asked Alyssa to lead them to the grave, which she willingly did. She led officers right to her body. It was a very shallow grave that was covered in leaves. So shallow that at this point, um, parts of her body were visible. Like, like she didn't even do a great job of covering her up. I mean... That wasn't her goal. She didn't care about hiding it. She cared about no, she she killing. just wanted to, she just wanted to yeah, and you'll find out in a second. Alyssa, again, just 15 years old, was arrested for the murder of Elizabeth, who again, you guys, was nine years old. Okay? Yeah. Later the autopsy would prove everything that Alyssa told them about the murder was correct. Like there was zero doubt Alyssa did it. When the police asked her why. She said, and I quote, 
just felt like it. At at this point, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Just because of all the other things she said about she just wants to know how it feels. She just wants yeah. to do it. Just wants to try it. Yeah. After her arrest uh, for the murder of Elizabeth, Alyssa went before a judge on December 8th, 2009, and the judge ruled that she should be tried as an adult. Despite her confession, um, her trial received a start date of of May 2011. Um, But she entered a plea of not guilty and was held without bond to await trial. Now, while she was awaiting trial, it was reported that she had tried to harm herself by cutting herself with her own fingernails. And obviously, she was under suicide watch. Um, She was showing signs of severe depression and anxiety while in jail. And she was actually denied the right to continue her high school education while she was oh. waiting behind bars. Yes, I don't which like her, that. No, which her lawyer obviously protested. Yeah. Um, and they even took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And really? the Yeah. And the case was eventually rejected. Yeah, which is I would want to know their reasoning for yeah. why they're rejected. Because I didn't look too much into that, but I mean the lawyer like fought it all the way and it was rejected and obviously their reason had to have been good enough because it it was rejected enough times to get to the supreme yeah or it was denied enough times and the supreme court rejected it they wouldn't hear it but yeah i wonder yeah i don't know yeah So her lawyer asked that she be moved to a psychiatric institution to undergo evaluation and immediate psychiatric treatment. Prior to the trial, she was officially diagnosed with major depressive disorder and borderline personality disorder. Okay. I mean, I I also agree with having her go to a psych facility. Yeah, totally. That's what I mean. Honestly, she should have been there and stayed there after the first suicide attempt, especially with all the behaviors she was exhibiting after that. Right. You know, a forensic scientist was hired to look at the scribbled journal entry Mm -hmm. and, um, they were actually able to uncover what she wrote that she scribbled out. And Mm -hmm. this is what was written in the journal. I just fucking killed someone. I strangled them and slit their throat and stabbed them. Now they're dead. I don't know how to feel at the moment. It was amazing. As soon as you get over the, oh my God, I can't do this feeling, it's pretty enjoyable. I'm kind of nervous and shaky though right now. Kay, I got to go to church now, LOL. Man. Brutal. Uh Uh-huh. So the trial, after many delays and because there was Motions to move the trial due to media attention, um, which the motion to relocate was denied but by the judge, but then it was agreed that the jury would be selected from the neighboring county. There was also a delay because the defense was arguing the fact that the prosecutors testing the knife and Alyssa's clothing um, in evidence that they used the full sample that they have had leaving nothing behind for them to test independently, but that didn't really matter. I think they were just fighting that to fight it because it was her blood and it was, you know, no, I think that's, that's a legitimate argument that, um, I've seen it come up several times that if you can't replicate a test, technically you can throw the first one out. Yeah. Makes sense. Really? Yeah. 
Um, and then obviously the continued education fight, uh, now, there was a blow to the prosecution when the defense team filed a motion to suppress her confession. The judge actually agreed, and in the ruling, it said that at least part of Alyssa's official police statement would not be admissible because of the officer's questioning tactics. So prosecutors wanted to use that obviously as like a confession confession mm -hmm. but when the judge saw the tapes he he was like i you know some of their questioning tactics can can be seen as leading or oh okay like i'm i'm sitting here what like what did they do what, yeah what? yeah okay i got um, it yeah so then finally her trial was set to start on january 30th 2012 but then on January 9th, 2012, Alyssa finally withdraws her not guilty plea to first degree murder to take a plea deal with prosecutors. Okay. Um, and this was her plea deal with prosecutors is that her charges would be changed to second degree murder and armed criminal action in exchange for giving up her right to a jury trial. Okay. So according to her attorney, Charlie Moreland, the plea change came because he said that uh, Alyssa just wanted to finally take responsibility for all of it. After she pled guilty, Judge Patricia Joyce had Alyssa describe her actions on that October evening. And Alyssa said in court, and I quote, I strangled her and stabbed her in the chest. And then when they asked if she also cut Elizabeth's throat, Alyssa responded, yes. Then Judge Joyce asked Alyssa if she was aware that her actions and consequent if she was aware of her actions and their consequences when she murdered nine-year-old Elizabeth, and Alyssa replied, yes. So on February 7th, closing arguments are made in a sentencing hearing at which um, Olton's grandmother poor thing. Uh, Elizabeth's grandmother yells, Alyssa should get out of jail the same day Elizabeth gets out of the grave. Oh. Yeah. And this was Elizabeth's mother. Elizabeth's grandmother. Yeah. Prosecutors were asking for a life sentence plus 71 years to account for the years that Elizabeth lost. Oh, wow. Yeah. Alyssa's defense team was obviously asking for a lighter sentence because of the severe mental health issues that she was suffering at the time of Elizabeth's murder. Probably also the fact that she was a minor. Yeah. They were also insisting that she was born into a very troubled life and that impacted her development and that the medication that she was taking for her depression affected her ability to make thoughtful decisions and that she just acted on impulse and intrusive thoughts. So at the sentencing hearing, Patty, Elizabeth's mother, when she made her statement, she called Alyssa an evil monster and declared that she hated her. On February 8, 2012, Alyssa, who was now 18 at the time, was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after serving 35 years and five months under Missouri law. Uh, she did make a statement at her sentencing, and she said, and I quote, I know words can never be enough, and they can never adequately describe how horribly I feel for all of this. If I could give my life to get her back, I would. I'm sorry. Uh, Alyssa's 
defense team tried to appeal her sentence, but they lost. In October of 2015, Patty, Elizabeth's mom, sued Alyssa Bustamante for damages in a wrongful death suit, and she actually won and got $5 million awarded to her. But I don't even know how that is paid. How is that even paid? I have no idea when grandma doesn't have that kind of money, Alyssa doesn't have that kind of money. Right. Now, today, there is a rumor going around that she could possibly be released from jail after serving only 15 years because of the repeal law. Um, But the National Organization of Juvenile Murderers started a petition on behalf of Elizabeth Olton's family. to stop that, Elizabeth's murderer will be eligible for parole in July of 2024, so in two years, because of Senate Bill 26, which was approved into law in 2021. I mean, that is literally just around the corner. Exactly. So there's already a fight to stop her from being released because they're saying that she obviously isn't stable. And I mean, even when on medication, which she was when she killed Elizabeth, she's not stable. And so that she should. But I think she was only on antidepressants. True, true. Not of her diagnoses, the BPD is actually the more volatile one. That's true. That's true. So I guess if under control, um, I don't know. If I was Elizabeth's family, I definitely wouldn't want her out. But that's oh, because, I completely get it. Yeah, but yeah. I also, there's a part of me that really hopes that she's had in this time that she's had access to the tools so that she can actually be rehabilitated. I really hope they gave her access to education. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I think she's just been in. I mean, she has to. Inmates get college degrees all the time. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, in this case, because of the place she was in when she committed this, if if she could absolutely 100% prove that she's rehabilitated and she's managing her mental illness or whatever she needs to do, if they could prove that, I probably wouldn't be too upset if she got out. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also not the family of the victims. So. Exactly. Yeah. It's just super sad. What a bummer. God. I know. So, yeah, you're welcome. You like that? Thanks. <laughs> Man, that's awful. Uh, well, I hope you take that nugget and put it in your pocket for a rainy day. I, I don't know what to... I don't want this in my pocket. <laughs> well, it's there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good without this one. Thanks. Enjoy. It's like a murder snack. A murder snack? Oh, that's probably not. I don't what we like should this call it. one. Yeah, you okay. know what? What I want for like a murder snack? I uh-huh. um, I like chips and I like ice cream. Uh, I like ice I, cream more. You know what? I love chips and salsa. Like I have no willpower when it comes to chips and salsa. But like good chips and yeah. salsa. Yeah. Oh, you know what? For me, it really. I don't even care. It could be stale chips. I just like, I don't know. I love chips and salsa. Jasmine Richardson. That's her name. Oh, yes. I know Jasmine Richardson. I knew it was Richardson. That one is awful. Yes. It's interesting that in this one, 
you willingly gave a trigger warning, but this was like arguably less graphic than, <laughs> than your Odessa Carey episode where I had to stop you and have you do a trigger warning. <laughs> oh man. So uh we'll we'll see you next week. Okay. And goodbye everyone. Bye. Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other and we'll see you next week.